What is neuromarketing? How are big companies using information from neuroimaging to make big decisions about how to spend their marketing dollars? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Clint Kiltz. Dr. Kiltz is currently Paul Janssen Professor and Vice Chair for Research for the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Emory University. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, Dr. Kiltz, most of us probably have never heard of neuromarketing. Uh, what is it? Well, um, it's unfortunately a lot of things that I never intended it to be, but what it specifically is is the application of neuroscience to problem solving in the business context, and it can take many forms. I actually prefer the the title of business neuroscience as creating, if you would, a subfield of neuroscience, not unlike cognitive neuroscience or affective neuroscience or social neuroscience. I think the best definition, it's the application of neuroscience and its technologies to understanding the bases of human behavior in business context. So give us an example of how companies might be interested in this sort of work. Well, companies have proven to be very interested in this, and I, I think that relates to one of our motives. I'm probably going to, uh, going to insult a few people on this comment that work in the field of business, but as a scientist and, and being well-versed in the scientific method, Many of its principles of avoiding bias and hypothesis testing really aren't the way that business goes about its decision-making process, and maybe that's an unfair criticism. But by that, I mean that things like focus groups and market surveys really are in many ways flawed, and these are, are some of the core tools of business research, if you would. Our thought has been for some time that neuroscience is informing clinical disciplines like psychiatry and neurology and the clinical neurosciences, as well as my colleagues in cardiology and so forth. And imaging sciences have been very penetrant in these fields and giving us some very elegant new views of the way the, the brain or the organs uh, organize their function as well as their pathology. But I think an interesting aspect of neuroscience is that as we've moved technologies like neuroimaging that I do into broad areas of human behavior, we've now captured the imagination and the interest of the lay public. And it's rare that you don't see an article on neuroscience or human neuroscience in the New York Times or Time Magazine or Newsweek. And it's amazing how penetrant this technology has now become in the inferences and insights that have become in the field. Our goal here was to take an, an area that is, is highly impacting on our day-to-day -day life, and that is business and corporate America, and try to see what would be the, in a Venn diagram, the overlap of, of the information content of our technology in addressing some of what we perceive to be the needs of business in deriving more informed decisions. To think of this a little simplistically, is this kind of like doing the Pepsi challenge in a scanner? <laughs> <laughs> Most people see it as that. Um, it wasn't the way we approached it, but you know, some of my colleagues who do work in the area of business neuroscience have approached it to some extent to that way. The classic case, I think, would be using imaging 
techniques to understand how the brain responds to marketing messages or attempting to understand how a particular form of advertisement influences our choice behavior. Well, as I've said many times in other venues, that is really not going to be very impacting because A, we're smarter than that, so we're not going to reveal all of the complexities of our choice behavior that easily. And imaging technology really isn't that good. So in other words, if the goal of this would be to inform corporations of methods, let's say a signal that they can play on your television by which you would run down and buy a (laughs) widget that you don't really need, A, that would be ethically, uh, I think, a difficult position to defend, And B, we're just not that good at it. So our approach has been to try to understand business from a neuroscience perspective in very business-driven forms of knowledge. And where we approached this initially was the concept of preference choice. And if you think about preferences, Leslie, these are one of the great behavioral economy features of human behavior. And I give you an example that if you went to a grocery store and you had no preferences when you walked in a door, you weren't recalling any past histories, nostalgic or otherwise, you were immune to any associations made with advertising or word of mouth or from friends and colleagues about this particular product versus that one, it may take you, you know, two or three days to grocery shop as you looked through the table of ingredients on every can and looked at the, the labels and made, I think I walked into a grocery store just on the concept of soup, and I think there were 44 different kinds of soup. You walk into that store with preferences, and they're based upon what you like, your experiences that have driven that like system, and then you shop accordingly. So they're, they're wonderful tools, and we wanted to study how does the brain organize the concept of preference choice? Is there something about things that we like and something about things that we dislike that are coded very differently in the brain? And so at a fundamental level, that was our entry initiative into the field of business neuroscience. Mm -hmm. And are they different? Yeah, they're different, I think, in important ways. I think that they... You know, let me tell you one of the, the, what we think is the, the important inference from this study. And we were interested in were there discrete patterns of activity that suggested that the things that we deeply like versus the things that we deeply disliked differed in how we process them. And I think the strongest inference we had from this study was that the things that we like, and these can be vegetables, fruits, branded items, automobiles, things like that, we tend to process in a, in a dorsal medial area of the brain, irrespective of their stimulus category. And it's an area of the brain that we find to be also activated when we're accessing knowledge of self. And this whole idea of a neuroscience of self has been a very fascinating one recently. And so the inference here would be that those things, even though they're products, or vegetables, or fruits, actually by developing, by our our deep experiences, a strong positive affinity for them, become self-referential themselves. And we find this to be very fascinating because the inference, further inference here would be that our experiences start to create a larger semantic of self in which we're willing to include consumed products. 
So it's it's a kind of a, a, a nice little addition to the field. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Clint Kiltz. We are discussing business neuroscience. Uh, now, Dr. Kiltz, this has been somewhat of a political hot potato, hasn't it? Oh, I, I think that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from Idaho. Everything has to do with potatoes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I, I have to say I somewhat naively approached this with a high bar related to neuroscience. In other words, in the past, the field of neuromarketing, as it was called, or what I prefer, the field of business neuroscience, had basically sought to inform business decision-making by extracting what were thought to be relevant forms of information from the ongoing field of neuroscience. And this was our attempt to actually put business questions in the context of neuroscience. My first goal was to make whatever we did acceptable to my area, which is neuroscience. I, I'm not, I don't function as a business professional in any way. So, you know, we entered this field relatively naively. We uh, undertook a study that I mentioned to you and didn't have any intention to put individuals in scanners and have, you know, show them soup cans or beverages or anything. And this got the attention of uh, the news media and would follow quickly after that were, to be honest, attacks by consumer advocacy groups saying that business was now co-opting academia and that my past research career in addiction, I was just working with big big corporations to create addicted consumer behavior. I mean, yeah, it, it really Ouch. got kind of ugly, yeah. uh, to say the least. And it became so outrageous, it was hard to even defend yourself after a while. You know, I would argue that I and and, and my business entity that was also part of this partnership, you know, really had kept it to a high ethical standard and kept the critical values of neuroscience and, and its ethics to the highest standard. So... It all kind of petered out as it went on, but it it did leave a somewhat bad taste in my mouth. What it exposed to me primarily, Leslie, was the high degree of skepticism that many consumers have, or at least some individuals very rapidly, as to the the evil intents of of corporate America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in reading about it, I saw things like, uh, this is coercive use of medical technology and statements like that. Yeah. So is there any future here? Oh, I think there is. To be honest, I actually hope there is, because I actually think a field like business would benefit from the insights of applying neuroscience to problems that are specific to that business profession. I also have thought for a long time that it would be very fascinating to co-train disciplines like business with disciplines like neuroscience. In other words, creating individuals that apply neuroscience in terms of its its discovery potential to problems in business. And so I always thought a co-training plan would be a very nice way of doing it. You know, when you stop to think about it, the field of business and the field of neuroscience are both interested in the same organ, mm-hmm. which is the human brain, mm-hmm. but approaching it from very different perspectives. And I would also argue that business, in terms of the drivers in research of its decisions, really is in need 
of adding more, uh, I think, contemporary scientific rigor to the process and incorporating some of the technologies which drive the understanding of human behavior in other domains. Sounds like you may not be the one doing it, though, huh? Well, I still dabble in this. I have an article coming out in the Harvard Business Review next month that, that I like in and around this topic. So, yeah, I do still work in this area, but not as hands-on as I used to. Well, I'd like to thank you for your honesty. We've been talking with Dr. Clint Kiltz today about business neuroscience, uh, otherwise known as neuromarketing. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.